dealt with the civil magistrate, civil magistrate for the public good. Chapter 24, these are things that God has established for the good of his people in various capacities, various categories. The civil magistrate, the general public. They're saved and unsaved, obviously, alike in that. Chapter 24, marriage and divorce, the family union, right? And what needs to take place there, how it functions at its best. There was, as we considered, there was that mutual help that we all need, man from woman and woman from man, right? And then there was the aspect of being fruitful and multiplying was the commandment that God gave at the beginning, creation. It still holds true. And it's that holy seed, as it's called. There is, as it were, the, the foundational part of the church. For there is the training. We're going to see some of that this morning. There, there are special benefits in that relationship for the children born into that relationship. That's where, humanly speaking, we would expect the backbone of the church from generation to generation to come from. And why not? Young people, children that are taught from their youth. So, important relationship. And, of course, the key here is how it functions, how civil magistrate functions, how the marriage, the home functions. And then we got to chapter 25, dealing with the church. The church has as its obligation, all of these have their place, their obligations. The church has as its obligation the ministry, all right, the ministry, the evangelizing and the educating or edifying of God's people. That's his function. It's not the church's function to run the government, nor is it the government's function to run the church. Now, the one of these three relationships, the key, if I can put it this way, to both the civil and the church is the family, right? Because it's the family that has a direct impact on both. It is from the family that the civil side will be impacted, as well as obviously the church. Neither, neither will carry out its function without godly people, not carry it out as God intends. So, as we consider the church, and I've mentioned it, and as we do it today as well again, as we consider the things applicable to the church that we've been talking about particularly, again, don't lose sight that they're also almost hand-in-hand hand applicable to you and I individually. Okay? So, in chapter 25, we've seen a variety of things, and we got to paragraph 4, 
paragraph four that deals with this church, um, this entity, being more or less visible and more or less pure. Now, just to what I was just saying to the point, who is it that, as it were, makes the church more or less visible or more or less pure? Well, the Holy Spirit working through God's people. So if you have God's people who aren't being led by the Spirit, then you're going to have an impact on the purity of the church. And we're going we're to see that some as we look here today at some more of our uh, aspects of this visible and pure church. Uh, we considered, obviously, we spent a good bit of time on the three most critical um, prayer, prayer, and again, in particular, without prayer, what Paul just mentioned, the Holy Spirit, no prayer, no help of the Holy Spirit. God's Word, the Holy Spirit doesn't come and zap your brain with the truth. God in his mercy may preserve you from error, but the Holy Spirit works with and through the word of God. So our second critical thing here is our attitude toward the word of God, how we use it, what we think about it. Is it important? Do we consult it when we have things in our life? Do we consult it to build our knowledge so that when we are confronted with whatever it may be, even as we read in our memory passage, you know, it's like precepts, it's like statutes, it's like commandments that I know and they've kept me from evil. They've given me direction. It's what provides me strength as it were, and help, it's where we get the armor, isn't it, for the battle that we have to deal with every day. And then the final thing that we've spent a lot of time on, but I think rightly so, is this aspect of Christian love. And I put Christian in front of it because love in this day and age carries with it so many connotations. But it's Christian love. As we considered last week, love, the source of love, is God. Love is of God. God is love. So the, apart from being a Christian, you have no access. God may in his mercy let ungodly do things that we would identify as being acts of love in our way of thinking. But apart from God, understanding and knowing love is impossible. It's almost, well, let me put it, it's difficult. It's difficult even when we do know have Christ as our Savior. That's why, oh, that we might 
we might know, we might begin to comprehend the height and the depth, the breadth, the width of love. It's so expansive. And it has to be to deal with everything that God's word teaches us that it ought to deal with, that it ought to have a part of in our life. As we considered, while we think of love as being things we do for others or in connection with others, um, love first and foremost requires us to examine our heart. In essence, we need to be prepared to love. It doesn't come naturally. And how do we understand what it is, what it ought to look like, what we ought to be doing, what God expects of us in this matter of love? From God's word. And that's what we've spent the last two or three weeks looking at. A lot of the aspects of love. And again, I trust that as we've talked about it, and hopefully as we've learned a little more about it, been reminded of things we already knew about it, that it starts having effects, that we start seeing it being applied in our own heart and getting the joy out of it. Preacher talked about that last Sunday night, the joy, the assurance. We talked about that last week, how love is a great source of assurance. Because again, you can't do it apart from knowing Christ. So when you love as the scripture teaches love to, to act, the way it acts and, and what you do, it's a way of assuring you, you know Christ. You couldn't do it if you didn't. And we looked at 1 John in that respect, too, as the assurance. Uh, and with that love comes joy. All right? And again, that was one thing that was mentioned last week. Now, I want to look at two more things in connection with this. My question one, what causes the church, the true church, to be more or less visible in, 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 in the right way are more or less pure, right? Plenty of churches are very visible in this day and age, aren't they? But a lot of them, not most, I won't say most, but a lot are for all the wrong reasons, doing all the wrong things. They, all this, that's what they're trying to do. They just want attention. Take note of us. Take note of us. Where the true church says, take note of our Savior. We want you to see Christ. All right? Now, how we sing, how we worship, how we pray, all of those things show forth to the world, to people who come in here to visit, to people that you see. If you have a joyful spirit, you're, you're somewhat of a unique person in this day and age. If your spirit's joyful continually, people take note. Why? Why can you be 
so, so joyful, so happy when things are so bad, you know? And it gives opportunity, obviously, to give testimony. Two more things that I want to add to our list. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 5, and again, a lot of these passages will be familiar to you, but 1 Peter, over there, if you turn five pages, you miss all of Peter and John, Jude, but uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. And verses 8 and 9. And my word is being watchful. What makes the church more or less pure, more or less visible? The church being watchful. The people of the church. Because the church is made up of people. Verse 8. Be sober. Be alert. Be watching. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That includes churches. Obviously, if he can devour the people in the church, he devours the church. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Be sober, be vigilant. We saw, did we not, with couple of the churches there in Revelation 2 that we looked at, a couple of the churches that weren't careful. They got satisfied. They weren't on the alert. They became complacent, and things started to happen, and nobody noticed. You know, that's, if there's a big change, you pick up on it. Those gradual changes, you don't see them that much if you aren't really watching. You, they, you just kind of get used to it and all of a sudden you realize that instead of being where you started, you're somewhere out here. Right? It's, uh, you know, you've heard the illustration, I think it is, that I've never been involved with this, but I've heard the illustration that the frog, when you're cooking the frog, you don't throw it in hot water, it jumps right back out. You heat the water up gradually, frog never moves, right? We're the same way, you know? Temperature, I move you from very warm to very, very cold, you're gonna do something. But if you start dropping the temperature gradually, all of a sudden, you've got hypothermia. All right? Because you didn't realize just how cold you were getting. Situation in the church can be no different. We need to be watchful. And then the church needs to be nurturing. Right, and I've already alluded to this a little bit in my comments. Look at Deuteronomy. Let's just start there, and we'll work our way through a few passages. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Again, these, these are going to be verses that you've heard, that you're familiar with. I'm not going to be telling you anything new here. Chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is 
one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Okay? Now that's where we are. Adults, that's, that's, hopefully that's where we are. And the children of Israel were aware of what God had done for them. Now they have been flowed. But here, here what I've got to say to you. And they could understand. And then he goes on and says, I'll pick back up with verse 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them, these words, talk of these words, when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way. You're sitting around the table, you talk about it. Now walking, you talk about it. And when thou liest down, when it's time to rest, you can talk about it. And when thou risest up in the morning, you can talk about it. These words, God's word. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. And it's that kind of a habit that will lead you to the attitude of what's in our memory passage. Young people, they're just immersed from the time they get up all day, in the house, out of the house, at night, they're immersed. God's word doesn't mean that every second you've got that's free, you're reading God's word to them. It may be just living out God's word. It may just be reminding. Well, now, that's not the way God's word teaches us we are to treat one another, is it? God's word says if we hide in our heart, we'll not sin against him. It's good to memorize God's word in it. Just little reminders. You're teaching. They're hearing. You may not think they are. But they'll, they'll hear, and they'll see. And, of course, they see with us, too. Right? Sometimes it's more detrimental to be telling them one thing when you're living something else than if you didn't tell them at all. Okay? And that's true with all of us. But children especially can be impacted by that. Teach them. Teaching God's word to our children, making them understand how critical it is for their life from the time they get up in the morning to the time they go to bed at night. Just help them understand that. Everything you do, God's word needs to be impacting it all day long. Even when you sleep, you can sleep, you can go to bed at night and rest well knowing that God is watching over you and we teach them that too don't we you have nothing to fear God's watching after you I'll be in the next room but God's watching you all through the night 
all through the night. The rest. Another passage in Deuteronomy chapter 11. If you got thoughts or comments you want to share, feel free to, uh, to let me know. 11 verses 18 through 21. Now, the, the, the blessing of teaching, the result of teaching, the obligation to teach, kind of what we looked at. This passage has to do with blessing, verse uh, 18. Therefore, shall ye lay up these words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand, sound familiar, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. You see it. You can't help but see it. You know it so well. It's right there. And ye shall teach them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Thou shalt write them upon the doorpost of thine house and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied. All right? Now here's a little additional from before, a lot of that, what we just read, same thing that we just read back in chapter 6. That your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. And he goes on in the chapter, if you don't do these things and if you don't obey God's word, the judgment that comes. So here you're seeing, okay, it's critical that they know it. God's told us to make sure we teach. Now he's added to it some of the blessings that your days and their days may be long. Well, if your days and their days are long, that's going to impact the civil magistrate. That's going to impact the church, isn't it? You've got godly people. And you'll be rejoicing. You will be as the days of heaven upon the earth. Now, I don't know that we can have any great appreciation for what that means because we haven't been in heaven. All right? So here's where you get to use your imagination some. Your understanding. What you know about Scripture, well, Scripture tells us in heaven what? Give me some things that we know about heaven from Scripture. No. Well, you'll have a physical body. In heaven. In heaven. Sure will. That's one of the truths, the great truths that we lean on with Christ. Christ physically ascended. He sits as man in heaven, and we will. All right, our bodies will be resurrected, put back together, however, wherever they are, whatever condition they're in. But what what are things that that, that you don't particularly care for here? Things that are problematic. Sin. 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 All right. So no sin in heaven. As days of heaven upon earth. It, and again, think about the memory passage. God's word has so permeated me, my being, 
that it keeps me from what? Sin. All right? What else? I mean, that's a big one, isn't it? No sickness. No sickness. No tears. You know, a merry heart does good like a medicine. It's God's word that can make your heart merry as you think about Christ and what he's done for you. That you've been born again. That you don't face. That there's no condemnation. If that doesn't make your heart merry, and there's plenty of times that the believer, in my opinion, just me, but I think there's plenty of times there have been believers that have gotten over sicknesses, physical sicknesses, just because they had some time and they meditated on what God had done. All right? No tears, sadness, and a lot of impacting there is this matter of love. Right? So what we do know about heaven, what God has shared with us in his word, we can plug into this verse. Right? So that their days and your days, as God's word controls us, might be as days of heaven upon earth. A little taste right a little taste a little insight into what it might be like what it will be like when we get to glory nurturing it's part of the function of the church part of the function of the family that's why i said the family has a lot to do with the church carrying out it's part, but that's why we come. That's why we have a Sunday school. That's why we have preaching. That's why we read God's word. It's so we might be nurtured, so that we know, we understand. We, we, we come to understand that sin and Satan has no control over us. Well, we still sin, but we've been delivered as we've trusted in Christ from that bondage. I am the Lord your God who have brought you out of bondage. Right? Therefore, keep my word. Obey my commandments. Why? You'll get a little idea of what it will be like in heaven. When all those things will be kept perfectly. Perfectly. Bob, did you have something? I just want to say that there's uh, also there's no marriage in heaven. No marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to touch that one, Bob. <laughs> but, and we talked about that on our chapter because we are married to who? The church is the bride of Christ. I have no idea what relationships will be like in heaven. You wonder. You wonder. You know, you don't want to sit and say, well, you know, I've had a wonderful marriage. 
I love my spouse. Heaven without my spouse? I mean, without some? I don't. But everything will be perfect there, and I will be fully satisfied. So I don't know. The Lord hasn't. There's no marrying or giving in marriage in heaven. We know that. God's word tells us that. But what relationships will be like, we aren't told. As far as what we'll know and how we'll see each other and are we grouped somewhat in the areas with the people that we've known all our I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, I'd, I'd hate to miss out, wouldn't you, maybe talking with Moses or Elijah or John or all these folks that we read about, at least seeing them, seeing them, you know, a lot of things about heaven that we don't know. But what God's told us about heaven when you read verses like we just read, take a minute and plug some of that in. And then how important is it that you teach them your children, that your days may be multiplied in the days of your children, in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. Nurturing. And part of that's the church. Church can't do it all. It's not God's intent for the church to do it all. Right? But the church certainly ought to be helping. It certainly shouldn't be hindering. And there's plenty of churches that do. They hinder maybe just by the lack of what they don't do. What they don't teach. It's not that what they're teaching may be so bad. But nurturing is equipping, equipping. And I don't have to tell you, you know, we all have a few days behind us. It's not all easy, is it? And equipping the saints is to handle those tough times. Handling the easy times, the good times, yes, we won't you to appreciate, I want to appreciate when God, when it's a good time and I'm on the mountaintop. And why am I there? Because God in his mercies let me get there. But you also want to be equipped. So when you're walking through the valley and it's dark and it's frightening, it's lonely, it's depressing, It's being equipped to handle those times as well as the mountaintop. You can get destroyed on the mountaintop just as easy as you can get destroyed in the valley. Right? But the valley carries with it its own set of circumstances that makes it tough. Even for the person walking with the Lord, it can be tough. So, nurturing. Ephesians, well, Proverbs 22, 6. 
Let me mention this one you're familiar with. You can turn there if you want, but it's uh, train up a child and the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. If you have a marginal reading, uh, at least one of my Bibles, train there is catechize. Right? It's catechize. Now, the idea of the training there uh, in that verse is, is a very, as it were, narrow, not narrow in content, but a very focused training, a dedicated training. It's not something you do once a month. It's something you're doing every day. It's focused. You're teaching them God's word every day. That's, that's what's happening in Proverbs 22.6. Training is requiring a lot of work in that it's not just helping them learn a memory passage. That's good. But it's helping them know what to do with that memory passage to come and understand it. Ephesians 6, and turn there. And Ephesians 6, we know that's the chapter with the Christian armor and, and uh, what we probably associate with it the most. Ephesians 6, verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Right, two things going on here in, in this verse. One is teaching them, getting it in their head. Right? Getting it in their mind. The other is helping them make right application of it. Make it useful to them. Make it real to them. It's interesting. I may have shared this with you if I did. Uh, before, uh, but I'll mention again. I had an opportunity to, to teach a class out at BJ a long, good while back. But it was always interesting to me and rewarding, I suppose, in some ways. But I have students, and, and it, was a, it was a business law class, and um, I, I would give them a problem and ask them to apply the law to it but that also say apply scripture to it. And I had students at the end of the year said, I just want to thank you because I never knew God's word was so practical. I never knew God's word applied to so many things. Day-to-day -day life. And we kind of maybe help facilitate that attitude sometimes. Oh, well, God's word's spiritual, and it is. But we, we kind of separate the two, don't we? The secular from the sacred. And kids grow up. Well, God's word, I got to know it for Sunday. I got to know what I'm supposed to do on Sunday. And I know I need to pray some during the week. And, and I need to, to, to read. You need to know what God's word says about how you're to study. You need to know what God's word says about how you, you're to interact with your parents or brothers and sisters or whoever. 
You need to know. From sunrise to the time you lay your head down on the pillow. Teaching, impacting the mind, discipline, admonition, making good and proper application of what is being taught. Well, those are my ones that I had about the causes. Now, you may have others, and if you do, yeah, feel free to let me know, and we can add them to the list. Because all I want to do is I'm not trying to be, you know, have something absolutely complete here. But I want us to be aware. Because, again, how, how it's going with us is going to have a lot to do with how it's going with the church. Okay? Just can't help. It, it's, not, it's not just the minister and the, the teaching elder and the ruling elders to keep things going the way they should be going, doctrinally and spiritually. Oh, that's one of their jobs. But it's your job and mine as we sit in the pew, as we listen, that we know God's word so that we can say, wait, wait a minute, Tim Farr. You said this in Sunday school this morning, and what about this passage? And you won't bother me at all if you come. Because I'm human. And if I say something wrong, just didn't intend to do it, I can tell you that. I'm not trying to teach heresy. <laughs> but if something comes out and you're wondering, feel free to say, hey, what about this? Because I'll be more than happy to get up here and say, let's go back to this passage. And let me correct something I said. Doesn't bother me at all. Bothers me that I said something wrong to start with. It's the same way we are, isn't it, with as parents with children? You, you don't want to have to say, I didn't, I didn't teach you the right thing here. But it's a whole lot better to say, I didn't teach you the right thing here. Let me tell you what you need to know. Or even if the child comes and says, but what about this? And you say, you know what, you're right. You're right and I was wrong. Okay? That's part of nurturing too. That's part of nurturing. Helping. Part of what we saw in love is what? Forgiving one another? And helping one another? Being that Iron that sharpens iron. All right. Well, we'll stop there. We'll pick up with our next paragraph, Lord willing, next week. 25.5. And I've entitled it The Faltering Church. The Faltering Church. And a lot of what we've said will apply because... The faltering church is simply a church that lost all its purity. Right? When it, when it becomes, as this chapter talks about. Certainly, it's lost a lot of it. Can it regain it? Sure. Revelation, again, the churches, the word to them, repent. Repent. Just like with us. Can we get in a bad way? Can we backslide and be in a bad way? Well, yes, we can.
what's the first thing we need to do? Repent. What the church has to do. The people of the church. All right, let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the blessings you've bestowed upon us. How much we owe. Lord, a debt we could never repay. An act of love and mercy given by you to us through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we are entering into this time of the year when we think about Christ coming to earth, and Lord, that great gift, that great gift that has so many additional gifts, just like we've talked about, the, the gift of being able to love one another. Lord, we, we have so much to thank thee for and bless thee for, and we do so. Help us, Lord, this day. May praise be upon our lips, rejoicing be in our heart, because we are thy children, because we have this blessing and opportunity to come and worship. Join our hearts together. Lord, may it be a wonderful day, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.